This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Hi, it's Vanessa from the Fighting Stigma Show on Free FM. Are you a Waikato local? Do you have an idea for a radio show? Do you want to try your hand at being a content creator on Free FM? If so, check out our website on freefm.org.nz or find Free FM on Facebook and get in touch. Welcome to Free Left Turn here on 89.0 Independent Community Media. This is Craig, one of the th- one of the three co-hosts of the Free Left Turn show. As we are under COVID-19 lockdown restrictions, I'll be sole hosting the show for the foreseeable future. I was trying to figure out what to speak about as a leader and I thought well why didn't we look at the East Ward um, by-elections and see where things are at. We've spoken on on the show about this particular subject before and have found um, through reporting from other sources that the the voter turnout is very low. At one point, one point eight percent on the papers had been returned, which equated to around just over eight hundred votes. Not a very good look, and even by extending out to a a week or so in the form of the twenty fifth of August, is that going to make any difference to a higher voter turnout, given that we're under restriction? Because you'd have to go out to deliver your voting papers. And if we're still under level four as per the 25th, hmm, kind of a waste of time. So when when the ballots close on that particular day, what's going to be the turnout? Um, given they've have given they given given that they given that they've given a lot of time to people to actually cast their particular vote for this. It seems to me that it is a total waste of time. Probably the solution to this would have been to have an have have the that seat in the East Ward in the sort of abeyance until the uh, local body elections in twenty twenty two. Uh, just to save money, because you you'd think about it, if we have a lower turnout now, and that's quite it's quite obvious that that's going to be the case. The um, you you'd be thinking in terms of dollars and how much money has been wasted in holding this um, by election. It, it seems to me a little bit of a farce. And it sort of reflects the previous by-election that we had for the East Ward again when Councillor Jung passed away in 2018, I think, I recall. And that too had a low voter turnout 
and current councillor Hamilton won that on a fairly low voter count. And so are these by-elections useful or not? Um, And would um, STV make any difference to that? Possibly not. Uh, given that there seems to be a, a little bit of, a, lot, a lot of apathy towards um, local body elections in general uh, one one area you, you can look at where where um, where voting has been poor is the well trust election well well energy trust elections which were held some time back and when we got that crowd, um, that that right wing crowd that currently dominates the um, particular board now, and the voting there was particularly low. So it comes, it probably comes back to the wider, wider discussion around the importance of democracy and why we should participate in a democratic process why do we want why do we participate in a in that sort of process so we can get um people elected legitimately um and not at a not at the point of a gun as some countries still participate in but if we allow apathy to rule the problem is that we would undermine democracy and we'll get lesser lights coming to power, uh, supported by a minority, and the and the minority could actually be quite um, radical in, in their thinking, and um, you can see where elections have been cancelled through history. Um, the one that comes to mind with the Algerian elections, when the I think a party that was predominantly of a fundamental Muslim thinking um, was lo- looking looking likely to win the election and the elections were cancelled and I think the army were involved and, and the historical one is the one about um, the what happened in Nazi Germany's during uh, it happened in Germany, I shouldn't say Nazi Germany. What happened in Germany in the lead up to the sort of nineteen um, to the rise of Hitler coming to power about nineteen thirty three, where um, certain parties, legitimate parties, were, were made illegal and couldn't participate in the election, and the the National Socialist Party, as they were called. What we commonly know as Nazi, the Nazi Party, um, were the main party that won. Even though I don't think they got over fifty um, percent, but they got a majority of the vote. But see that with, with the with the communists and the socialists being uh, ruled ruled as illegal, the Nazis got into power by that. By so. You don't want to get into a, a situation where, um, where you don't want to erode democracy, even though it's not a perfect system, it was better than the alternative, as they always argue. So I think, thinking, well, given that 
that the Hamilton City Council have allowed the by-election or the, the or the elector arm, the people who control the elections, have allowed to extend the by-election for the Eastwood out some way to the 25th. I hope people do participate some way and try and get their ballot papers in. But I'm a little bit sceptical about um, extending out and the um, current restrictions we're under under level four. So, but I may be proven to be wrong, and um, they may get a good turnout because people have plenty of time on their hands to decide to vote. Yeah, given we're all at home or in our bubbles, and you've got your election papers here, uh, you, well, you might as well tick, tick the name you want to want to see on council. Um, so be it. It may encourage more people to vote given that we're um, not doing a hell of a lot, we can't go to work, or things like that, so go out and vote, put your vote in, and um, yeah, participate in a democratic process. So yeah, the 25th of of August is the cut-off date for the um, East Ward by-election.
I think so, when it comes to um, Fred Afton, um there's the three of us. Uh, there's Fred, Mick, and myself who co-host the show. And I think the best conversations or the best discussions we have are off air, uh, either in the lunchroom at Free FM or um, Babaganush in um, Hamilton East. Um, yeah, well, I like that. I like that particular setting for our sort of discussions. Makes you feel like Bohemians on that left bank with an E. <clears throat> but one of the topics, uh, or one of the topics that we talked about um, off air, and it was before one show, was an event called the Peterloo Massacre. It was mentioned because. It was coming up to the 202nd anniversary of that particular event. Um, so what was the Peterloo Massacre, you will ask? And how does it have relevance to our show? Um, probably uh, in regard to relevance, it, it all revolves around representation in Parliament. That's probably where, where it revolves, so that's probably why we just sort of talked about it. But to give you an idea of what the, what the, the uh, massacre is all about, or give you some sort of background behind that, we, we have to go back to early 19th century England, or Great Britain, take your pick. And during that time, the king was... The the monarch was basically in in regency. It meant that the current ruler, George the Third, had um, he had a mental health issue, and basically it was in the hands of the Prince of Wales. So that was the regency. The current the current government at the time the government of the time I should say the current government, but the government at the time was a Tory government, and the Tory government um, was led by uh, Robert Jenkinson, the Earl of Liverpool. And that particular administration was to be in charge of, of um, Great Britain from about 1812 to 1827. So it was a long, extensive um, administration. And Peterloo, the Peterloo Massacre happened in 1819, so it's probably smacked in the middle of that administration. So to talk about the... Peterloo Massacre, I have to refer to a book that I got many a year ago now, and it's a useful little book, called The Oxford Companion to British History, um, edited by John Cannon. So just mind, be mindful that I'm flicking through this book when I try to find the right page, because I have not actually marked it, to tell you a little bit about the Peterloo Massacre. So, we'll just get to the right page. And we will tell you what it was all about. Peterloo. The massacre, which which was de, de it was a sort of a, sort of a bit of a um, mocking of uh, Waterloo. That's where it's come from. It happened in a place called Saint Peter's Field, in fields of Manchester, on the sixteenth of March. 18, 9, 16th, oh, sorry, excuse me, 16th of August, 1819, to be corrected. 
I'm trying to get this book because it's quite a cumbersome little book here. So it goes on and says, A radical reform meeting of 60,000 to 100,000 people was violently broken up by the local Yemen um, militia who were ordered by the magistrate to arrest the speaker, Henry Hunt. Henry Hunt was a, what they call a radical. Um, as a result, 11 people were killed and over 400 were wounded. The government promptly congratulated the magistrates and rushed through the six acts, and I'll talk about those shortly. There was an immediate national outcry from liberals and reformers of every shade angrily portrayed in Shelley's The Mask of Anarchy and England in 1819. To middle-class reformers and Whigs, Peterloo was a warning of the aspirations of the unenfranchised. To working-class reformers, Peterloo became a symbol. It was condemned at mass meetings throughout the country and was commemorated for many years afterwards, remember the bloody deeds of Peterloo. Uh, as a bit of background to that, um, and it will involves other portions of British, British history, and that's the first half of the 19th century. M Manchester in those times had a population of between one and two million, but they didn't have um, parliamentary representation in the House of Commons. And that was part of the would be that would lead to the electoral reforms that would come up in the early eighteen thirties. As an aside, there were places in England um, which were labelled uh, rotten boroughs that had no people living there but had representation. So that's why political reform took place in eighteen. 32. But there's a lot more to that, just that simpli simplified comment by me. Now, I, I sort of mentioned the six acts, and you'll probably hear the pages rattling here as I try and find it. Um, the six acts that they referred to at the, in that Peter Lou um, piece, not good at handling a book and talking at the same time. Um, 6 Acts 1819, repressive measures to deal with the radical reform agitation which culminated in Peterloo. The Acts uh, A prohibit most meetings of over 50 people. B gave magistrates power to search private homes for arms. C prohibit drilling and military training by civilians. <coughs> Sorry. D. Strengthen the laws about blasphemous and sedition, seditious libel, sorry. Limit the right of an accused to a German of trial to prepare his defence, or her defence, in my case may be. Increase the stamp duty on newspapers and cheap pamphlets to four pence, thus hitting the radical press. So that's what that was all about. So in, 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 in the aftermath, in the, in the aftermath, of Peterloo or the six acts and but why I'm talking about it is what it highlights is the when you don't have representation in the how in the in the parliament which that 
particular event. It happened in Manchester. Manchester had no, as a Manchester had no MPs at the time, and um, so they didn't have any representation in Parliament. So, but then again, you also have to think at the time that the the voting franchise of Great Britain was quite small. Um, property owners and things like that. There were quite a lot of people who were disenfranchised for various reasons. Um, women, for example, they didn't get the full vote until 1928 or thereabouts. But then there were things like Catholics. They, weren't, they were disenfranchised. Um, and if you didn't have any property, well, you're totally out of the picture. So it's very important, as I said, that we know aspects of our history and how relevant they are today. Okay, going back to Hamilton East, Eastwood by-election, and, the, and, we, and everybody can participate, they can vote in that one. But just imagine if you were in a, in a, in a particular area of a country that didn't have any um, right to vote for any, it didn't have any representation in your government or par, in your parliament, I should say. So that's just a very interesting piece of history. The Peterloo Massacre, the 16th of August, 1890. Independent Community Media. Free FM 89.0 Kiss me goodnight and say my prayers Leave the lights on at the top of the stairs Tell me the names of the stars up in the sky That is the truth that we all have to die The top of the stairs is darkness At the top of the stairs is darkness
Everybody will be taking note over the last few days, week, of events in Afghanistan where the um, precursor, the US said they were going to pull out and they are going through that process from the country pulling their um, military personnel from from that theatre and the, the rather quick takeover by the Taliban in Kabul and um, Karzai the it was the former leader and you can call him the former leader and members of the Afghan government have fled the countries to who knows where <laughs> if it comes to Karzai you probably think he's fled to the United States yeah but um, Afghanistan has a, a long protracted history of war, occupation, violence, etc. And I have to thank my uh, co-host Fred for sharing about, no, no sharing three articles um, about Afghanistan and I've posted, posted them on the Free Left Turn Facebook page and I've commented on at least one. Uh, Fred provided information about military spending and um, another about a historical event of Afghanistan, um, which is um, named the, what they call the um, retreat from Kabul. And that's when the British were involved there. And the British had, had a long, extensive history in 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 19th century, early 20th century Afghanistan and there were uh, at least three, I count them there, three, yeah, I'm just looking up there, Afghan wars, um, 1838 to 1842, 1878 to 1881 and 1919 to 1921 and none of them were successful, okay. The, the intro, yeah, I, I just sort of recommend that you read the article about the Kabul retreat, um, where the um, British military people and their um, baggages, baggage, what do they call it, retreated from Kabul when the when their puppet was overthrown, puppet Shah, ruler, and not many of them survived the long trek. To, to Jalalabad, I think that's in modern day Pakistan. Uh, but at that time, the Jalalabad had a British garrison. Historically, or histor historical inaccuracy has indicated that only one person survived that particular um, retreat a person called William Bryden, a surgeon. But that's not the case because I think the Afghans took a number of hostages and a number of the sepoys, um, what, I, what I call Indian slaves, for a better word, were held by the um, Afghans as well and, and were released. So uh, more than just one person survived that um, tragic turn of events. Uh, why were the British there? Um, to stop the advancement of Tsarist Russia in the area. Heard that one before? Yes. 
um, heard that when it refers to Crimea, um, when the Tur when the Turk or the Ottoman Empire, as it, as it was known, had um, gone through a serious decline, and Britain and France were wary that of Tsarist Russia designs for the area. Now that's history and it's a rough kind of description of what happened. But from about 1979 till about the 90s, uh, Russian, Russia was involved also in Afghanistan. So Britain been there three times and failed. So Russia got Russia got involved and they set up a a communist style government in Kabul under, under a person called Najibullah. Najibullah, I think that's how you say it. But the Russians also found that that particular um, place of Afghanistan was how the USA found Vietnam. It was a never it was a no win situation and um immediately the um they they were battling the Mujahideen as they call themselves. I think that's what's what's morphed into the Taliban. And um and they lost a lot of men and they pulled out of the place in the Soviet style government that was based in Afghanistan or propped up by them collapsed and Najibullah um, was killed by the Taliban. So we got we got to Taliban being there. Then we have nine eleven, um, and then we have invasion. We again another invasion. Afghanistan seemed to have 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 this um, protracted history of invasion by foreign fighters, and you don't just have to look at Britain. Uh, Russia, United States and these allies, it goes back many years, I think even Alexander the Great marched through that area a bit of a hospitable place but he did now now in modern times the USA and its allies have, are pulling out but it's caused a humanitarian disaster of, of, of a sort where a lot of um Afghanistanis who have, have, have helped the Allies are in fear of their lives and they want to leave the country because they think that the Taliban will kill them. There's been murmuring to the Taliban that they've kind of learnt their lesson and that they will um, not uh, be like they were before. But, well, seeing is believing. And there have been reports coming out, recent reports, of less than savoury conduct by the Taliban. So, if you watch the news, you watch our Prime Minister say, we've got to get our people out there, and we're, we're, we've got a plane going over there, and some military people to pull our people out. You're also um, getting um, people trying to get through, uh, in, in through the, over the razor wire to get onto the plane to get out of, the, out, of, out of Kabul. And you hear the tragic story of people holding onto a plane, and as it flies off and they're falling off the plane and are killed, um, it's just, it's just for a better word, a shit show. That's how I would describe it. Uh, and it's the whole, the whole occupation, and you go back, you go backwards in, 
and come forward, go backwards and come forwards. When you're going backwards in this, it could have the occupation, and that's what it is, with a US-backed government, could have been handled differently if the USA could have um, been brave enough to talk to the likes of Pakistan and Iran, yeah, Islamic states, who may have been able to be, be able to negotiate a way forward through through a, to a decent type of government than what they're probably going to get now. But instead, you've got a you've got a, a got a Saigon here with the USA. You got a you put it. You see, say it as you see it. It's a, it's like a Saigon. They have um, tail between their legs and they're heading out. And that's what it looks like to me. Even though they'd come back, put some military back to help get their people out. But who who are their people? Is it their military civilian types, or is it going to be the the thousands of Afghanistan civilians who have helped their the, um, these occupied forces and probably on things like interpreters, um, maybe um, with providing some form of food or whatever it is. But it'll be interesting times as you watch the space, as as we as we um, have to live under COVID here, but watching outside the outside of the big white world to see how things evolve in Afghanistan from now. And I think we need to be very wary of what the Taliban will actually deliver or not. So, but I think in that you can also. Um, fire a lot of criticism at the way that the USA have handled the whole thing. But the USA were not the only ones there. Britain was there, Australia was there, New Zealand was there. They, they, and, other, and other nations were there. And probably the whole lot have some sort of responsibility that they didn't handle it all that well. Those years of occupation and development or, endeavor, or, or attempted development. Um, it looks like they've just gone back to pre 9-11 so as I say watch this space I see Mr. Apollo up with his bare And if you take his courses, he'll make you big and rough. And, and you can beat up bullies till they cry, Oh, no, oh, crikey, let go, you rotter. Don't punish me. When you're tough, you're very fit. Your voice is gruff. It sounds like Brits. You are so strong. And proud of it. Thanks to Mr. Apollo. Follow Mr. Apollo. Everybody knows he's the greatest benefactor of mankind. Follow Mr. Apollo. Everybody knows that a healthy body makes a healthy mind. 
Um, locked into this um, routine of being in one's bubble with, um, in my case, my wife Margaret. Uh, yeah, sort of, sort of. We, go, we sort of just carry on what we did when the last lockdown, and and just keep yourself isolated. But I think the, the rules now appear to be more st- quite stringent around. The wearing of masks, and that's a point I like to uh, touch on a bit here. I've, to be honest, I um, ever since we returned back to that lower level in May of last year, I've put myself in a position of being in solidarity with those who have to wear masks throughout the the lower level. Times and that was, includes the bus drivers. So, catch the bus, I put uh, put my mask on, catch the bus, and it shows. It's in, it's in my thinking that we need to be in solidarity to those with those people who do these frontline jobs. So, put the mask on. But uh, you, you're seeing in the news as of late, 
lot of protesting against of the lockdown, a lot of protesting against the wearing of the masks. Because people have, you get the impression that people believe that the wearing of a mask is taking away their freedom of expression. And and you could always think that, well, those types of people, uh, they, they sound almost like the capitalists or the, the neoliberal types, libertarian types. They want to have their cake and eat it too. But I, I adhere, adhere to the words of the of our Prime Minister that we have to wear our masks. And the only time that my wife and I have gone out during these first five days was to the supermarket uh, where one of us shopped and one of us remained in the car. But going out from our bubble at home, I wore my mask, kept my mask on in the car when my wife did the shopping, because the next shopping trip will be my turn, and I'll see how things go. So um, I'm all in favour of the mask wearing. I'm all in favour that it protects other members of the community, more people who are more vulnerable than oneself, um, people who have got who may be COVID compromised if they caught the bug. So I'm thinking in terms of people. Um, I'm not thinking myself. I'm thinking about other people. But I suspect the anti, the anti types, and I think many the anti vaxxer types, the anti mask wearing types, are only thinking of themselves. And you would see all those all those news articles out of Australia about the mask anti mask people protesting, and there was evidence of at least one person who has deliberately escaped from. Um, manage isolation and uh, spreading his infection around. Not very good at all. And there should be more stringent penalties for those types of people. I, th- I, think, that the, I think it's been managed here quite well. The whole thing, you, you're hearing the complaints um, from the um, opposition MPs and their, and their sycophants that they, the government haven't done a good job, but I suspect logistically they probably have, because um, you can only um, swab or what do you call it, inject people at a certain rate. It'd be interest a certain rate. Sorry, it'd be interesting to know to time somebody who is going through that um, swabbing process, how long it takes each individual to be swabbed, and for their swab to be tested, or, or that sort of timing a person as they go through that whole vaccination process. How long did it take one person? And maybe you'll get an idea why it takes as long as it has, and the, and the whingers will um, will listen to that, perhaps. Um, I've booked in my um, vaccination. Uh, my wife and I are going to be doing ours in the first Monday of September. I think that's the 5th. Excuse me if I'm wrong, but I'm having it done locally, which is up at the hospital here, and I'm waiting the six-week period, because you can do it within three weeks, the next one within three weeks or six weeks, I'm doing it within the next one six weeks later. Um, my wife should do, do hers in that three-week three time, three time frame, and my daughter, who, who currently in isolation, and I, yeah, I call it isolation. Currently in her bubble in Carlow Park, University of Auckland, 
is going to have a three-week time frame and has her first jab next week. I happened to speak to one of my clients this week and he said um, he had the jab, he had the first jab, and he felt a little bit um, a bit under the weather after that. Had a, had, had a few symptoms, um, but it seems to be all right. Um, I'm not... I'm, I know that my manager's had the injection, and she she complained about a sore arm. Um, yeah, complains about. Compl- well, I think it's a good complaint. Yeah, but at least you got the injection, which is a good thing. Um, so yeah, I'm in that um, in that in that team that's waiting to, for their jab date to come up, which is good. I hope everybody else is in that same space. I've had the jab already. Um, like it makes us uh, less vulnerable to the or the worst successes, particularly of the Delta variant, which seems to be quite virulent and an easy spreader, as the news is sort of saying. I hope I'm not going to be affected by the jab too much. There was the discussions around that the second shot may keep you off work for a day, or well, that's what my brother said, because I think he's had the jab. Um, but I'm I'm actually looking forward to it. Um, just be part of that team of five million because we have to work as a community together on this one. Um, get get us through it. Um, it's almost like being um, the socialist type working together stuff. That we're all in the same boat together, and we're not in the sa- and we're not some sort of. Um, what, what, what would you call the things that the anti-vaxxers are indulging in? Um, fake news and and what the anti-maskers are indulging in or um, loss of freedom. Well, the alternative is a lot worse. You could get the you could get the illness and die of it. Particularly if you look at the anti, the not the anti, but the um, the variant, the Delta variant, which has cost the lives of a few young people. So, best to be prepared in this time. Um, yes, I've been working from home since Wednesday. I don't mind working from home, but also I like to deal with people face to face. It's a bit harder to deal with them over the phone, particularly when you've got complex cases. Given my job, I've um, tried to keep the lines of communication open with clients. It's really difficult in this space um, because you don't know if people are struggling emotionally or mentally. Have they got enough? food, have they got enough supports in place, uh, some form of social contact. I try to be a type of social contact for some of my clients who are who are probably isolated, live by themselves, lonely. Um, so try that, it's, but it's very difficult to try and um, do your job in the most adequate fashion. But then again, watch the space. And we know that free effort themselves uh, also in that space of limited contact, you can't do your shows, live shows, but we just got to accept this is the way things have to be done. Um, other, other, otherwise, we would lose a lot more people and be in a lockdown situation long term until we get over it somehow or other. And yeah, and, and the message to us all who are in this, who are in this together, just be safe out there.
Local and independent. Free FM 89.0. When I walk out on the street, nobody can see me. Sink into a shadowed wall. I'm a ghost in a shopping mall. There's a guard at a crossing gate I float by on a different plane There is nothing that I want to take And there's no thought I want to make I'm just hanging out by myself
For more episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.